Well, please turn with me now in God's Word to the Old Testament again, but this time to the book of Exodus, chapter 20, on page 74 of the Church Bible. Exodus 20, and to the Tenth Commandment in verse 17 of this chapter. And we remind ourselves again of the wording of the Tenth Commandment, Exodus 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. If I can just recap briefly on last week's sermon, uh, we saw that coveting is the desire for something that God does not intend us to have, uh, either at any time or at the present time or in the amount that we might like to have it. And we saw why we covet. We covet because we have a fallen nature, and that fallen nature uh, expresses itself in, in all kinds of sins, but particularly in our failure to trust God, that he gives us what we need, and we don't need to covet anything additional to that. And also, it manifests itself in pride. We think that we deserve more, that we deserve better than what the Lord has given us. Why has he given him that? Why has he given her so much of that and not me? So our fallen nature calls, causes us to covet, and then our fallen world in which we live uh, makes us covet in, in all kinds of ways. We thought about some of those, particularly the advertising industry and the consumer culture in which we live. These things uh, make us covet. They tantalize us. They stir up sinful, covetous desires in our hearts. And then we looked also at what coveting leads to. Uh, it leads to more sin. All the other commandments really follow on uh, after coveting. Coveting begins in the heart, and then it expresses itself in outward positive sin. It, it leads to dissatisfaction discontent with the good things that God has given us. It leads to violence very often, taking forcibly what we desire and that God has not given us. And it alienates us from God himself. So last week then we were, we were thinking about uh, this sin of covetousness. It is an ugly sin. It is a prevalent sin. And the question now is, how can we avoid it more positively? What can we do about this sin? What is the cure for coveting? We need to nurture the opposite mindset, don't we? Instead of a greedy, grasping heart that wants more and more, we need to develop a spirit of contentment with what God has given us, whether that be possessions or position or our circumstances in life, our situation in life. 
As we saw last week, it doesn't mean that we can't desire anything. We're not Buddhists. We're not forbidden any kind of desire. There's nothing wrong with ambition. Ambition can be a good thing, a healthy thing, a necessary thing. But we need to have hearts that are content with what God has given us. And we see this in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 21, very nicely uh, balanced. Paul says, were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. In other words, be content even with being a slave. But then he goes on to say, although if you can gain your freedom, do so. That's a good illustration of the kind of contentment that we're called to have as Christians. Be content with the situation you're in. But if you can improve it, if it can be improved in a right way, in a good way, well, there's nothing wrong with that. Or as Paul says to Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. So how do we develop this contentment? Well, let me suggest three things. First of all, we need to cultivate a sound mind. We need to cultivate a sound mind. Because all change begins in the mind. Action never just appears out of the blue. Everything that we do, everything that we say, it begins in the mind. And so if we want to change our behavior, then we need to change how we think. We need to bring our thoughts into line with God's thoughts. Romans 12 verse 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed how? By the renewing of your mind. That's how you change your behavior. That's how you change your habits. That's how you change your lifestyle. It's by the renewing of your mind. And that is especially true, of course, uh, with coveting, because this is a sin that is committed purely in our minds. So if we want to deal with coveting, we need to think certain thoughts. What kinds of thoughts do we need to think? Well, let me suggest several. We need to remember, for one thing, that we are made for much, much more than earthly things. If you want to root out the spirit of covetousness in your heart, then you need to remember that you are made for much, much more than the earthly things that you might be tempted to covet. Human beings are created by God in the image of God for fellowship with God. And that is what our lives are meant to be all about. Of course, God has made us physical beings. We have bodies, and he has put us in a physical world which is to be richly enjoyed. He, he created food to be delicious. He created work to be fulfilling and sport to be exciting and invigorating. 
And he created and designed music and art to be thrilling and soothing and moving. These things were his idea. He created all these things for us to enjoy richly. So we're not meant to put on hair shirts and deny ourselves all these enjoyable things. Christians are meant to take pleasure in things, great pleasure in material, earthly things. We don't believe, as the ancient Greeks did, and this idea began to infect the early church, we don't believe that material things are evil and that spiritual things are are good. We don't believe that. God made all things, spiritual and physical, and he made them to be enjoyed in the right way. Material things are good. Earthly things are good, but only in the right place, only in the right context. And that place is always secondary. First and foremost, we are made for fellowship with God. Spiritual things are primary. Physical things are secondary. There is that God-shaped hole in every human being. Animals only care about earthly things. Animals are only interested in what they can see, what they can touch, what they can taste, They just want food and shelter and not much else. But human beings are not animals. We are made by God for a higher, far more glorious purpose. And if we remember that, it will help us not to covet earthly things. If we remember that we are made for much more than earthly things. Material things don't satisfy us. Not ultimately. They can't satisfy us. And it doesn't matter how much of them you get, and it doesn't matter how high quality the stuff that you get is. Our souls need fed. You remember the words of Solomon in Ecclesiastes 2 verse 11. Here's the man that had everything to the highest quantity and quality that the material world can offer. And what does he say? When I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Because material things, earthly things, the things of this world, they don't last, they don't satisfy, they don't touch our souls. And some of the men and women in history who have had the most and the best of the world's blessings, they have discovered this. They have realized this more clearly than anyone else. They've got to the top and they've realized that there's nothing there. Eric Morecambe one of the most successful British comedians of his generation, was a man who struggled with depression and despair. And in an interview once he said this, he said, I can't stop, I haven't got enough. I can't stop, I haven't got enough. 
He was living for earthly things, and he didn't realize that we're made for much, much more than earthly things. And then a second thing uh, we need to do in cultivating a sound mind is to keep earthly things in perspective. Keep earthly things in perspective. You've got to understand that no matter what they are, earthly things are trinkets, not treasures. Again, I'm not saying for a moment that they are evil in themselves. They may be, but not necessarily. They may be well and good in their place. Paul says to Timothy again in 1 Timothy 4.4, 4, Everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. But when we covet things, we take them out of that proper place, that proper context, and we elevate them and we put them in a place that they're not supposed to occupy. We need to realize how unworthy these things are of being coveted. We need to try to train ourselves to see earthly things as they really are. We need to strip away the advertising hype that we were thinking about last Lord's Day. And we need to tell ourselves, this is just a car. It's just a pair of shoes. It's just a sofa. It's just a phone. It's just a mattress. To hear the advertisers speak about these things, you would think that some of these things are the Holy Grail. And that if you just buy this mattress, well then you will become a complete person. You will be whole in a way that you would never be. You will always be a second class human being until you possess this pair of shoes. This will make you desirable. This will make you confident. And of course advertisers do this with everything. Carte noire coffee. The, the tagline for carte noire coffee is a coffee called desire. It's just instant coffee. You take a spoonful of it, you put it in some boiling water, you stir it, and it makes a, a semi-passable cup of coffee. That's all it is. A coffee called desire. In fact, they put it in French to make it sound even more mysterious and alluring. We've got to try and train ourselves to keep earthly things in perspective. They're just not worthy of the longing and the love and the adoration and the desire that we give to these things. No, Jesus Christ and eternal life and the kingdom of God and the word of God and the gospel and the forgiveness of sins, these are the things that are worthy of our desire. These are the subjects that should occupy our thoughts. And it's pathetic, isn't it, when we see human beings made in the image of God who are capable of incredible things. We're designed by God, for God, to relate to this infinite God, to have fellowship with Him. And what is it that fills their minds? What is it that thrills them? It's the cloth that covers their skin. It's games. Football. I, I, you know I am not 
the world's biggest football fan, so it's easy for me to say this, but what, what, is, the, what is the big deal? It's just a game. Wasn't it Bill Shankly who said, football is not a matter of life and death. It's far, far more important than that. And yet, that, to hear people talk, that, you would think that that is what they believe. Today, at this moment, churches all over England, and possibly here as well, are screening the Women's World Cup final. Because if people had to choose between watching a game of football and worshipping the infinite triune God, well then, watching the football match would win hands down. God couldn't possibly compete with the Women's World Cup final. And so we'd better have it on in the background so that people can see it. Although, of course, it won't be on the background. It'll be what people are focused on. And any kind of worship will just be a sideshow compared to that. We need to keep earthly things in perspective. It's just a game. It's just money. It's not all that important. The metals and the stones that we decorate our ears and our uh, fingers and our necks and our wrists with, it's just metal. It's just stone. They're just trinkets. Keep earthly things in perspective. And then a third way uh, to cultivate a sound mind is to think more about heaven. Think more about heaven. None of us does this as we should. And if we lose sight of our destination, we will inevitably become caught up with the things of the world. Imagine that you pass a drunk, drug addict, lying in the gutter in a pool of his own vomit. Do you envy that man? Do you wish that you could swap places with that poor man? Do you wish that you could drink what he's drinking and inject yourself with whatever he's injecting himself? Do you wish that you could wear what he's wearing? Not for a second, because you're going home to something that is far, far better. There is no comparison to what you have in store to what he has. And if we could just see clearly what we are heading for in the next world, we would sit much more lightly to the things of this world. Meditate on the world to come. And that will put this world into its proper perspective. We as Christians, we are going to everlasting bliss. And yet we envy people who are bound for everlasting ruin? Why? I'm going to sing from Psalm 73 at the end of our service. I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me until I entered the sanctuary of God and then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. Why would you envy someone who is doomed to destruction? 
It's a tradition on death rule that an ex- a man who's due to be executed can order whatever he wants for his last meal. Would you covet the breakfast of a condemned man? Would you envy him? That would you? Say, what, oh, what an amazing thing to be able to have whatever you want! Oh, I wish I could have that. You don't want it because he's going to his death. Cultivating a sound mind means thinking more about heaven, our destiny. And then a fourth way to cultivate a sound mind is to remember what we have in Christ, not just what we're going to have in heaven, but what we have already in Christ. What do we have in Christ? Well, we have every spiritual blessing. Not just one or two spiritual blessings, which would be wonderful enough, not even many, many, many spiritual blessings, but we have every spiritual blessing, all that we need for life and godliness. We are rich, spiritually speaking. The most materially poor of us is a king or a queen, spiritually speaking. All of our sins forgiven, past, present, and future. A clear conscience, no fear of the day of judgment, peace with God. We're not his enemy. Instead, he has adopted us into his family. We have the presence of Jesus Christ with us at every moment of every day. We have the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, dwelling within us, empowering us to live for him, making us more and more like Christ. What a wicked thing it is to covet. God has given us all this. He has given us his only begotten Son, and still we're not satisfied. It's as if we're, I mean, we would never articulate it like this, but this is our attitude, isn't it? It's as if we're saying, it's not enough, God. It's all very well that you've given me your beloved Son, and you've given me the Holy Spirit, and you've given me eternal life, but I really, really need that pair of shoes. You don't understand, Lord. I can't be happy. I can't be complete unless I have that nice house as well. Eternal salvation is all very well so far as it goes. But I've got to have this and this and this as well. These are some of the things that we need to think about when we're tempted to covet. That's something that is a battle for you. If you know that this is one of your besetting sins, here's what you need to do. Cultivate a sound mind. When you feel this discontent rising up within your heart, when you're dissatisfied with the lot that God has given you in life, whether it's your possessions or your position or your circumstances, think about these things, and it will help to breed contentment. Cultivate a sound mind. Then secondly, uh, much more briefly, uh, covet spiritual things more. Here's a second positive thing to do to help us uh, with sinful coveting, and that is to covet spiritual things more. Uh, Some months ago, we were thinking about guarding our hearts Uh, And we saw how that includes our desires, uh, the things that we desire, the things that we long for. Uh, And I was encouraging us all to take stock of our hearts and our desires. 
ask ourselves, what are the things that I long for? What are the things that I desire most? Are they worldly things or are they spiritual things? We saw last week that we need to covet spiritual things. There are lots of things that we should covet that you can be as insatiably greedy about as you want. What are some of those things? Well, the Word of God. Psalm 19, verse 10. God's laws are more to be coveted than gold, than much pure gold. There's one way to deal with sinful coveting. Start your, set your desire upon God's Word. Do you crave God's Word? If someone offered you a billion pounds never to read the Bible again, would you take it? Can you say like the psalmist in Psalm 119, the law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold? Do you hunger to learn more about Scripture? To know it better, just not, not just to, to know it in the sense of being able to, to rhyme it off, to, to, to know what it says, but to understand how it fits together more clearly. You can be as greedy as you like when it comes to God's Word. We're to desire Jesus Christ. That was Paul's desire, wasn't it? In Philippians 3 verse 10, he said, I want to know Christ. This is a man who's been serving Christ for many years. He had a brilliant intellect. He had a clearer understanding of Jesus Christ than any man apart from Jesus himself. And what does he say? He longs to know Jesus Christ more and better. Isn't your knowledge of the Lord Jesus so small? Your experience of him so meager? said before about a comment of Sinclair Ferguson's that he wonders how many Christians today could go into a room with nothing at all and sit and meditate on Jesus Christ for more than five minutes before they run out of things to think about. Do you long to know Jesus better and to love him more, to understand his will more fully? We're to covet holiness. Hebrews twelve fourteen. Make every effort to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. We're to pursue holiness, the Bible says. We're to hunt it. We're to chase after it. We're to expend effort. We don't just sit there waiting for the Holy Spirit to zap us with holy feelings. You don't drift into holy living. It doesn't just happen automatically while you're sitting in church. It doesn't just happen because you've got the Bible open in front of you in your quiet time or in family worship. It's something that we need to go after. We need to desire it. We need to covet it. We need to train ourselves, the Bible says, to be godly. We need to desire a greater love for others, to love them as we love ourselves. We're to covet a greater patience with other Christians, with, with, not just with Christians, with, with everyone. We need to covet the, the ability to overlook faults 
and not to bear grudges, to cover sins, even a multitude of sins, with love. We need to, 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 to covet the, the ability to, to see the best in other people instead of the worst. We need to covet the glory of God in our families and in our churches and in our nation and in our world. Are these the things <clears throat> that are our supreme overriding desires? Because one of the ways to deal with sinful coveting is to focus your mind and focus your desires on the things that we are meant to long for. And as we covet the things that God says we should covet, we'll find that our desire for the things of this world will shrink. It's a little bit like with eating. A few months of healthy eating, and you'll probably find that you don't have the same taste for sweets and sugar and junk food anymore. I used to take one spoonful of sugar in my coffee and in my tea, and everyone told me, if you could just go without it for two weeks, you'll, you'll never be able to drink it again. Uh, well, it took six months, and for the first two months I did have to eat a Mars bar with each cup of coffee, but I did get there in the end, and for years now I haven't taken sugar in my coffee or tea, and I, I couldn't drink it. If there was sugar in it, it would turn my stomach because my desires had been changed. My desires are, are more balanced and, and more healthy. Some people, of course, would say I should now try and cut out coffee altogether. Well, I'm not quite ready for that step just yet. But this is how we change our desires. And as we do that, by the grace of God, they, they, we're, we don't want these things anymore. Our spiritual appetite gets stronger and keener, and our appetite for the things of this world, we're just not interested the way that we used to be. Maybe you've discovered that yourself. You used to be obsessed with football or some other sport or whatever your hobbies were or watching television, and you would watch box set after box set of, of stuff that really wasn't particularly edifying at all, things that we shouldn't really have been entertained by. And, and over the years, by the grace of God, your desires have changed. And now you'd rather sit down with a, a, an improving book uh, or, or watch a, a, a good documentary or, or a substantial film or, or something healthy. So cultivate a sound mind. Covet spiritual things more and then thirdly and lastly, exercise faith. Exercise faith. Faith is often uh, a very mystical concept in people's minds. It's this vague, airy, fairy thing. Some people have it, others don't. But that's not true. Everyone in the world has faith. Everyone. Everyone believes certain things that can't be proved, and they put their trust in certain things. Everyone has faith. The only difference is what you put your faith in. And as Christians, we put our faith in God. He alone is worthy of our trust. And when we're tempted to covet, it's hard to trust God, isn't it? We thought about that last week. 
There's something that you desperately want. Something, and maybe it's a good thing, and you think that you need it. You're convinced with all your heart that you need it. It's hard, isn't it, to trust God that he knows best, that he hasn't given you that thing. And perhaps he won't give you that thing. Maybe you don't have the position or the status that you think you ought to have. You're working as hard as you possibly can. You're working much harder, much more faithfully than anyone else around you, and yet it doesn't seem to be noticed. Maybe you're stuck in a wearying, tedious job, and it's hard for you to be content where the Lord has placed you. Maybe you're in a marriage relationship, and it's not all that you hoped it would be. Maybe you're not in a marriage relationship and wish that you were. It can be hard to believe that God knows best. That's the kind of situation, isn't it, when you're tempted to covet your neighbor's spouse, your neighbor's marriage, which seems so much better than your own. Whatever the situation, when you're tempted to covet, when you're tempted to be discontent, this is what you need to do. You need to exercise faith. You, you have to work at it. You have to strive to trust God, that he knows what he's doing. Faith is something that we do. And it's a little bit like a, a physical muscle. It is something that we need to exercise. And the more we exercise it, the stronger it gets. Just, just like physically, if, if there's a heavy weight that needs to be lifted, just because it's hard to lift, just because you can't just pick it up with one hand, doesn't mean that you give up. No, you, you roll up your sleeves and you strain your muscles and you put your back into it and you increase the effort so that you can lift it. You don't just give a little flick of your hand and say, oh, that's, that's too heavy, I can't do it. And when we're in a situation where our faith is being stretched, we don't just say, well, I can't believe that God is in control when this is going on. And we give up. That's not exercising faith. No, we have to strain to believe. We have to strain to trust we have to cry out like the man in the story in the gospel, Lord, I do believe. Help my unbelief. I do believe, and yet it's hard to believe, and there's a sense in which I don't believe, and I need you to help me because I want to trust you here. And I'm going to trust you, Lord. I am going to trust that you know what is best that you know what is wise, that you know what is loving, that you have plans for me and they are for my good. That's what I'm going to believe in this situation. I'm not going to covet that thing that you're not giving me. I am going to consciously, deliberately, perseveringly trust that you know what is best. That's what it means to exercise faith. It's not some airy-fairy, ethereal, woolly feeling, this fuzzy hairs in the back of your neck standing up. It's something practical. It's something real. It's something concrete. 
what we do to our children, isn't it, as parents? I know this is hard for you to understand. I know that you don't really know why you have to do this. You can't understand why you need to do this. But you know that I love you, don't you? And you know that I want only what's best for you. So you have to trust me. Okay? That's faith. That's the essence of what faith is. Trusting when we don't understand. When we don't see the whole picture. When we don't know how it all fits together. We can't see the ending, the happy ending at the very end. As I quoted at the funeral Elsie's funeral on Friday, Hebrews 11, verse 1. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. You have to trust that God hasn't miscalculated, that he hasn't made a mistake. He hasn't lost his grip on the universe. He hasn't fallen asleep at the wheel. He hasn't turned against you. And I, I, I know that's hard for some of you. It's very easy to use glib, trivial examples about shoes and football. But I know that for some of you, these are very, very real issues that you're grappling with. And it's not easy for you to trust the Lord when he hasn't given you that thing that you desperately want. We don't have the wisdom to make the right choices for ourselves. So we have to trust that God knows what he's doing. Don't covet what he hasn't seen fit to give you. I'm sure you have people in your life and you say that you would trust them with your lives. I would trust her with my life. I would trust him with my life. You know that they love you so much that they would never, ever do anything to harm you. They would always act in your best interests. And yet, they're fallible. They're flawed. Their wisdom is imperfect. So how much more should we trust God, our Heavenly Father, with our lives? Exercise faith. So here then is at least some parts of the cure for coveting. Cultivate a sound mind. Covet spiritual things more and exercise faith. And if we do this by the grace of God consistently and carefully, then we will know contentment. But it's not something we can do on our own strength. Our sinful nature is very, very powerful and the world is very skillful at making us covet. And we need more than just our own willpower, our own resources. And graciously, God promises that he will give us the grace that we need not to covet. If you want this, then he will enable you to do it. I remember hearing a story about uh, a man who had been a thief and he was converted, and he went into church, and it was an Anglican church, a traditional Anglican church, where very often they have the Ten Commandments uh, engraved uh, on the wall somewhere. And he saw these commandments, and he went out 
filled with encouragement. He had, he had worried about the fact that he had been a thief. He had worried that his old life would come back to haunt him, that the temptation to steal would be too much for him. But he came in and he saw the commandments and he was filled with encouragement because he read the words, you shall not steal. And he read it as a promise rather than as a commandment. And in a sense, he was absolutely right because by the grace of God, each of the commandments is a promise of what God is doing in us. You shall not covet as the Spirit molds you and sanctifies you. You shall not have any gods before the Lord. And it's a promise of what one day he will make us to be perfectly. At the moment of our death, when our souls are made perfect in holiness, or when the Lord Jesus comes again and takes us to himself. One day you shall not covet. Amen. As we stand, let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you have spoken to us from your word today. And we pray that your Holy Spirit will take this word and seal it to each one of us. Help us, Lord, not just to be hearers of your word, but doers of it also. Help us to, by your grace, cultivate a sound mind Develop in us a greater desire for spiritual things. And help us, Lord, to exercise faith, to trust you with our circumstances. We know that faith is a gift from you, and yet you call us to have strong faith and to develop and exercise and grow our faith more and more. So please help us to do that in these coming days, we pray. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.